0: Welcome back to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. This is episode number 355. Thanks for tuning in. This is Tim Malouli, and with me today is Tom Malouli. How you doing?
1: Good. Hello, everyone.
0: There was an article in the New York Times. If you tuned into the Maluli Asset Show this week, we touched on a couple points from this article, but honestly, there was so much to talk about in this that we wanted to take time on the podcast and really dive into things that we couldn't discuss fully in in a short video
1: I'll start out by we, saying that please take if you've got time please take a look at this article We'll link to it in the show notes but I'm amazed someone hasn't been arrested
0: yet <laughs> yet <laughs> looking at the details in this article it's probably coming so it, it it has to deal with a Pennsylvania uh public school employees retirement system so it's a it's the pension fund for mm-hmm. Public school teachers in Pennsylvania. Right. The trustees of the account, which they're supposed to be acting as fiduciaries, and we'll get into that, they decided to put a majority of the money in the pension fund into extremely risky, speculative, alternative investments. Uh, Some of them will leave you scratching your head, and now the FBI is investigating the pension fund because these people clearly were not operating under the fiduciary responsibility that they had to all of the participants. So the
1: article started out by talking about some of the different investments that are being held by the Pennsylvania Public School Employee Retirement System. So it's not just teachers, these are anybody who's employed. Okay. By the public school system in the state of Pennsylvania, and they've got money invested in trailer park chains, yep. in pistachio farms, in payphone systems for prisons. I mean, just weird stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they're buying the Nasdaq index or Apple.
0: Right. Yeah, they're not. They're not buying the typical blue chip name stocks that you would think. Or even even just you know any kind of stock or or bond or any type of uh, more traditional investment. I think one of the last things they pointed out there was that they're making some kind of loans or some kind of investment to the, the people, cur- to the Kurds, the Kurds in Iraq.
1: That's right. But it, hey, it pays twelve percent.
0: Right. So <laughs> where do you want to start <laughs> with this I, article? The, where should we dive in? The
1: the first thing I just want to get out of the way is. Uh, They mentioned near the top of the article that the decisions that brought the fund to this point are by now commonplace in the world of public pensions. I completely disavow and find that hard to believe because I don't think you're going to find other public pensions that have 51% of their assets
0: in alternative non-traded investments. That's reckless. That's what that— That's what I was gonna say. I feel like pension funds you do hear that they have some sort of exposure to alternative investments, but not not fifty one percent. That's a that's a controlling stake of their allocation being dished out to pistachio farms, et cetera.
1: Now it's not as large as some other state retirement plans around the country. Uh the Pennsylvania plan is 62 billion dollars but that's a lot of money for retirees.
0: Right, exactly. And, and you know for the people that are counting on that money, you know that it means the world to them.
1: Right. There's 500,000 participants across the state of Pennsylvania.
0: That's a lot of people. <laughs> who yeah, now
1: of the of the half a million participants uh half of them are are still working and they're contributing to this plan. So money from every paycheck is going into this pension plan. The other half of the participants are retirees who are getting a check every month. Now think about your checking account at home. You've got some money that you want to earmark for that project that you've got coming in two or three or four months but then you've also got money that has to be paid out this week. you got to pay the electrical bill. you got to pay your cable bill. You've got to do some food shopping. So you need to have cash on hand. If 51% of your assets are tied up in alternative, non-liquid investments like pistachio farms, how can you get money from that? You've got to have the rest of the money or a large chunk of that money available in something that you can sell very quickly so you can get a checkout every month. Right. I don't know how they arrived at this asset allocation, but it is second time I'm gonna say it in five minutes. Reckless.
0: I was gonna say, I was I was actually going to ask how do you think they got to where they are today? I mean, in the article they kinda walked through what's happened uh in this in this plan over the last, I think like 20 years, they went back to the, you know, the last couple drops or bear markets drops in the market and and what happened to this pension fund. And I feel like they just kept doubling down on their mistakes and it's just compounded and and grown. And they've needed to take more and more risk to make up for the bigger and bigger losses. That's a pretty
1: succinct summary of what they did. Every time that the market would turn down, they would panic, they would sell at the bottom, and they would get involved in riskier things to try and make the money back. I'm using air quotes. Right. I'm using air quotes because I've heard this over 30 plus years of people telling us we got to make that money back. Yeah. Well, you know, you didn't lose it all at once. You're not going to make it all back at once either. If you try and do that, you're taking a hell of a risk.
0: Right. And they outlined how... When the market dropped, I, th- I think it was in 2008 or around that time when they sold out of stocks, they sold out of the S&P 500 or a, um, one, one type of broad index and went into more of these alternative investments. I mean, if they just didn't panic and held on to these the indexes compared to what they ended up getting, you know, they would have made way more money just by staying in stocks.
1: I think that we'll hear more and more details as the months and years go by. We'll hear leaked depositions and uh, testimony in court about how things went. But if you just think about what Tim said, they appeared to have bailed out on uh, a large portion of their stock allocation in 2008-2009. Now think about this. The market bottomed in March of 2009- the S&P famously bottomed at 666, not a good Mm. number. But for the better part of uh, November through February, the S&P traded between 7 and 800. And it also on the way back up in March and into April, it traded between 7 and 800. So if you got out of large cap stocks at that level, I cringe to tell you that today S&P 500 is trading above 4,000. That's five Five. times more than where it was
0: when you decided to sell. I was trying, as I was reading the article, I was trying to think where the problem started for them. And I think it's a little different than uh, just a, a regular investor with a pension because These people have more of an urgency to make money, you know, for the next quarter or the next half of a year because they have obligations to pay out money to people that are collecting these checks. Like you said, half of the people are paying into the system and half of the people are now taking money out of the system. So with all of these outflows, I feel like the and other pensions across the country probably find themselves in this situation too, but it, it could almost be too late. The amount that they told people they were going to be getting for the rest of their lives was just not realistic. Yeah, so it not, wasn't not feasible, sustainable right. and it wasn't, you know, it's not something they, they forced themselves into needing to take more risk. So I feel like that's kind of where the whole thing started with them. They forced their hand into taking more and more risk and getting more and more reckless with it.
1: Now, an interesting twist in this, um, by comparison, the Pennsylvania State Employees Pension Plan is the money that goes into those pension plans for the state workers that comes through their operating budget. That money's budgeted every year. But the money for the public school employees retirement system, that comes from only two sources. It comes from the teachers kicking in their own money, yep. and it comes from property taxes. Right. So now everybody is getting dragged into this.
0: Yeah. Whether whether you're a participant in that plan or not, you're going to be feeling the pain of these losses, uh, of these risky investments that these people are trying to trying to make.
1: So as Tim alluded to a few moments ago, it seems like about 20 years ago, around 2000 or 2001, the... the uh, trustees realized that they're not going to meet their obligations. And so they started tapping into increasing property taxes across the state. Now, property taxes affect you, whether you're a renter or a homeowner, because if your rent goes up, a lot of that covers increased expense like property taxes. Right. So everybody's in on this, including businesses. And so... They started seeing more taxpayer contributions come in from 2001 through 2008. Then the market collapsed in 2008. And what really I found stunning was that, uh, I'll just use this line right here from the article, the fund emerged from the Great Recession with even less money than it had in 2001.
0: Imagine you're a taxpayer that had seen your property taxes increase for almost a decade to pay for this fund and then they end up with less money. Yeah. Their their problem is bigger.
1: Yeah, really bad. So then they, like, they they <laughs> What are du- you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, then they they doubled down on their on their risks and so after 2008 they started moving into these alternatives and now these alternatives make up 51% of the 62 billion dollar asset, but that's that's the problem with this is that when you turn money over to someone who's managing money or handling the alternative sleeve if you want to call that of your investment portfolio you don't really know what's going on and so now these i i gotta believe that these trustees are pretty red-faced right now because they're discovering that the money that they turned over to a money manager to manage the alternatives for them is now winding up in kurdistan right in pistachio farms in you know payphone systems in prisons things that they didn't really expect and are completely illiquid. You cannot get out of these. You can't call up and say, hey, how's Pistachio's doing today? Right. Like, can we sell our share? Yeah. It, that doesn't work that way. These are 20-year investments, and you don't get your money out until it's sold. Yeah. Hopefully at a higher price, but who knows? Who knows is right.
0: These trustees, even even though they they sort of passed the torch to the alternative fund, managers uh, that are picking these alternative it's still on the trustees to find managers or find alternative products or investments that are suitable so that doesn't it doesn't wipe their hands clean of it like oh we weren't the ones managing the pistachio farm investment like they're the ones who you know turned over the reins to to the alternative managers so and and they're Trustees of a pension have fiduciary obligation to that plan.
1: So the the trustees need to do some due diligence, and they have a fiduciary obligation. It's not like, as Tim said, you you're not going to go. I have to leave early today because I have to hoe the south field. Right for uh, pistachios. It's hey, we need to know like how do we? I I think that's the most important question to ask when you're talking about inter- alternative investments. How do I get my money back? Yeah. Or how do I get my money out? Yeah. Or when do I get my money out?
0: Yeah. How how liquid is it? How do they value it? Right. Because I think that's a big that's a big one too. Yeah. Along the way. How do you value something like a pistachio farm? Yeah. You you don't really know. The market it it's not constantly being bought and sold. Right.
1: So they're so, cranking out these quarterly reports, and they get the information from or the prices from the alternative investment manager, whoever that is. They don't know; they're guessing it, what yeah, the value is.
0: It's a little bit better than just a blind guess. They probably have some sort of an educated guess, but I at hope the end do. of the day, it's still still a guess. It's like, to me, that's like when you go on Zillow and you're looking at the price of your house or someone else's house, and they give you like the Zestimate that's great, but the house is worth whatever someone's going to pay for it whenever you choose to sell it.
1: 100% right. Yeah. And so that's why when you're managing money, it's really optimal if you deal in things that are liquid, that have prices, that have active markets that you can buy and sell in all the time and you know the price. Yeah. So they quoted a former trustee for the plan. He said, Putting money into private investments could be dangerous in part because the extent of the fees are poorly misunderstood. Incidentally, uh, pretty fat fees in alternative placements. So we get cold-called every day, not every day anymore, but we- we, Calls or emails. Call all the time from folks trying to get- us to show their alternative investments to our clients we delete their emails we block them and we hang up on the people who who call yeah um it's just not something that we're going to get mixed up in but uh this past trustee goes on to say private valuations are very susceptible to manipulation if you're listening to this podcast that is very 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 important Private valuations are very susceptible to manipulation. They can put down whatever they want. So, so this, I'm going to just go off on a sidebar here. Early in my career in the 80s, uh, as brokers, we used to buy CDs for our clients. They're called brokered CDs. And so you could be sitting at an office in New York City and a client says, I want to put my money into CDs. And they've got an account with you at big brokerage firm. So What you're actually buying is a CD from Wells Fargo or the Bank of Louisiana or the First National Bank of Paducah, wherever. Okay, you're buying all these different CDs. When the statements would come out, they would show, hey, you put $50,000 into this CD, it's worth $50,000. That's not true. That's not even accurate. Right. We don't know what it's worth because it's actually an investment. There's no liquid market for it. Right. And so they had to make an estimate. There was a big lawsuit about this. And all of the big brokerage firms had to change how they value these CDs on the statements because they were carrying them at face value.
0: Right. Now,
1: if interest rates go down, you could actually sell that CD and make a, make a couple of bucks. Right. Uh, the reality is that most of the time, if, if rates stayed the same, there was a sales charge in there, and the market changes. And so it's probably going to be worth a little less than what you paid for it. But they had to change the way that they priced these things on the, struct- on the statements because the system was not working the way it should have. They were just carrying them at face value. Yeah. I would venture to say that most alternative investments are completely mismarked on your individual statements. That's why
0: we don't get mixed up in
1: alternatives.
0: Yeah, it it's uh it's hard to know all the specific details about any of any of these investments and and whenever that's the case, it's just something that we tend to stay away from. But for this pension plan moving forward, unfortunately, I think in in my opinion, the the way to kind of get themselves out of this hole now is to reduce what they're paying out to people, <laughs> I don't know how they can do that. Or maybe it's just people people that already are already collecting will continue to collect. But maybe for people who haven't yet started collecting, when they do, you know, file to start start getting those checks, it's going to be less than they thought. Otherwise, I, I, you know, they they back themselves into a corner by yeah. continuing to double down on their mistakes. Yeah, and that's something that we say all the time here that like. It's okay to make a mistake, but don't repeatedly make the same mistake. You right. have to change what you're doing to fix the problem.
1: The corollary to what Tim said is it's okay to be wrong, not okay to stay wrong. Yeah. And so there's a lot of folks that will own an investment, it'll go down in value, and they're like, I'm not selling this until like until it comes back. And if it does come back, they're going to say, why would I sell it? It's up 40% in the last couple of months. Right. And I'm like, ah. Did you forget what you told me, right? Just not very long ago that I'm not selling this until it gets back to even. Well, that's here we are. Right. It's stunning to see this kind of mismanagement in some big bucks. You know, some really with a lot of responsibility tied yeah, to it.
0: Over sixty billion dollars. Yeah. For half a million people. Yeah. That's that's a lot.
1: Yeah. It, it really is. I think we ought to just quickly mentioned the thing about the Kurds. They invested through an outside money manager into an alternative investment. They basically bought into oil wells overseas. Now, they probably didn't have all the details uh, when they plowed their money into this, but the promised return was 12% yield on a a note on a bond that was going to come due in 2022. This involved placing money with the Kurds who were trying to carve out their own nation in Iraq, you know, called Kurdistan. Obviously, things are pretty volatile over there. When Iraq found out what the Kurds had planned, Iraq sent its army in to recapture the oil fields that were backstopping the debt. They basically said, no, sorry, we're nationalizing that. It's ours. Right. No more income. Yeah. But through that story came an even more sensational fact. Sensational in the pension world is, you know, somebody right. sneezed. But they talked about how they expected a 12% income or 12% yield On this investment, obviously, something that's paying 12% has got a lot of risk. Mm -hmm. But they said that would easily help them hit their target annual return target of seven and a quarter percent. Stop the presses! This fund is trying to hit an annual target of seven and a quarter percent. Right. That is super aggressive. Yeah. So. I sit on the board of uh, you know an um uh, an advisory board that oversees a pension here in New Jersey, and we're trying to get them to lower their target from six and a half to six, yeah uh because we feel six and a half is too aggressive. they right. have to take too much risk, yeah. to do that, yeah we just don't know from year to year what the market's going to give us, so it's better to use a lower number and be surprised on the upside. As we've said on many podcasts and videos, we're optimistic people. We're also people pleasers. So we want to give people good outcomes, but we have to plan pessimistically, even though we live optimistically. Right. So we want to plan for the worst case scenario.
0: Yeah. And even just even taking out the fact that this was an investment overseas uh, with oil in Iraq, there were a handful of red flags there that would apply to almost any other investment as well. The fact that there's 12% returns coming to them and they didn't know all the details yet before they piled their money into it, like stop right there. It doesn't matter if it's if it's a stock or a bond or or something overseas in Iraq. If you don't understand what you're putting your money into, don't pile a lot of money into it. Yes. Simple as that. So there was a lot to digest there in that article. Good stuff to break down on the podcast. That's going to wrap up this episode of the Maluli Asset Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.